permission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. To Roll for initiative. From the silver screen to the GM screen, Never Say Die asks, what can we learn from movies to enhance our RPG experience? I'm Rafe Telsch, film critic. And I'm Drew Meyer, game enthusiast. And we are back for our intermission about the movie Now and Then. We've had two weeks to think about anything that we've missed about the movie or about the uh, role-playing game, including comments that we've gotten from listeners that we'll get into. We'll talk about things that we are excited about on Kickstarter and... We will reveal the next movie. I'm going to go back to trying to plug it throughout the episode, Drew. Uh, we will reveal the next movie that we will be discussing uh, in our regular episode. So that's a lot to fit in here. <laughs> There's a lot to fit in. Uh, and I think, too, with the last episode is kind of our biggest so far because it was how to describe it. We haven't done a lot of these episodes, but I definitely feel like the last episode was sort of atypical because the film itself was atypical, and I feel like we had a lot to say about it in different ways, and that makes me so excited for going forward with this podcast, because if we can say that much about now and then, and I've gone back and listened to it uh, at least once, uh, and still feel like we're having an engaging podcast, then I think we're really good moving forward with this one. <laughs> All right. Well, one of the things we definitely missed talking about now and then, and this seems uh, this is almost becoming a running gag for us, but Drew, one of the things I put in my notes and you put in your notes, we did not mention the music of the movie. This movie, immediately one of the things I jotted down in my notes is, like, coming up with a playlist to help set the stage for the era that you set your game in, because that's what they did here. It is a beautifully cultivated playlist. It really is. Yeah, um, one of the things that, especially in the last two years that we've done most of our gaming via Zoom or uh, not in person, is I have been trying to cultivate playlists that get me in the mood. So if I'm prepping for a, a game, uh, whatever the theme that we've sort of come up with our players, I've created a, a track to get me excited about it, I'll, certain songs that I'll play during the, the game. And these films, almost every single one that we've talked about has either a incredibly memorable score or an incredibly memorable soundtrack. I mean, yes. we gushed about the Lost Boys uh, in the last proper session, and now and then soundtrack is. I mean, it. They're all bangers, and and the beautiful thing about it too is, you know, while Lost Boys brought us to the time of, uh, I don't know, it's almost kind of like new wave rock. Oh, sure, sort it's got of, in, it's of, got of the excess on the soundtrack. Of course, right? it's new wave. <laughs> This one is, of course, I mean, really cements the idea that you're in a time capsule. So you've got, oh boy, uh, what do we got in here? Sugar, Sugar by the Archies, uh, Knock Three Times, Tony Orlando and Don, I Want You Back by the Jackson 5, Signs Seal Delivered, I'm Yours, Stevie Wonder. I mean, like, every single song, Daydream Believer by the Monkees, which I probably hadn't listened to in years, really fantastic soundtrack. One of the things uh, that folks mentioned on, like, the Facebook page or Twitter is, you know, haven't seen this one in years, used to have the soundtrack as as a kid. And there's something really magical about having a soundtrack of oldies versus contemporary music when you're when you're a certain age. You know, like as teenagers, a lot of our self-identity is based off of the music that we listen to, or at least that's how I 
felt as a teen. And it's interesting to find something that you love and you connect to that takes you to a time period where you weren't even born, right? Like, <laughs> but the connection to that part of your youth is still so strong that those songs, like that soundtrack, means something and, and a lot. And it, boy, it puts you in a proper place for a period adventure. Oh, yeah. And and as I said, I mean, I, that, that's the one thing I took away from this. And you, you said you're practicing it. But I, I would recommend, you know, once you figure out the era that your game is set in, do cultivate a playlist. Look at, at songs that were popular around that time. And now and then is actually perfect proof that you don't have to be a stickler for the year. It's just about the era. Because one of the songs that Drew mentioned, the Knock Three Times, uh, actually didn't come out until a year after the movie is supposed to be set. So it's not about being a stickler about the the year that you're set in. It's about capturing the feel of that era through music. And if you can do that and have a playlist that helps inspire you and, and that you can communicate to your players and, and maybe it helps inspire them or play it during the session as long as it doesn't become a distraction, uh, I think that's a great thing. Yeah, I think we emphasize this a couple of times on in different episodes. But when you are putting together a period piece, especially with kids on bikes, since since nostalgia plays such a big part of that game, like again, teenagers don't want to play as teenagers. So it's usually adults playing kids on bikes sort of themed games. I have found so far, never be a stickler for the time period. Definitely get the the feel of it. But if you if you are stopping the game or someone is stopping the game to say, oh, well, um, actually, uh, that isn't <laughs> that that's not going to be fun for anybody. So I think that's definitely a session zero thing where it's going, hey, listen, we're doing an 80s game. I'm going to have 80s music on there. And even though we're taking place in 1984 uh, and the song doesn't show up until 1986, uh, let's just all be cool. Right. Can we be cool? Can right. we be cool? Um, <laughs> one other thing that I wanted to talk about, just the soundtrack in this, is uh, my friend Moore and I were discussing. I mean, I, I cannot express how great the conversations I had with her about this film and what it meant to her. But one of the things she drew attention to with the movie is the movie's got some very dark themes. Right now and then has some real serious stuff in it. Every single song on this playlist is an upbeat song. There's no, and I think she described it as, there's no mopey music in this. Everything is the best of what could have been. And in in, a, in many ways, it's sort of like looking back at your past with almost rose-tinted glasses and remembering the good times versus the times that make us bitter writers who, um, you know, are having a hard time connecting with people in our adult life. You know, that sort of a thing. <laughs> Not to be too specific to the movie or to, I don't know, our own lives, but that sort of thing. All right. Uh, really, that was the only thing uh, I had to bring up about the movie. Like, I, I feel like we, one of the things, I mean, you, you said it was a, a longer episode, which it was, but I also feel like it was kind of our most complete and thorough analysis of both the film and the RPG to date. Like, I feel like we kind of hit a stride with that episode. So I don't feel like I have a ton to bring up here on the movie side. What about on the role-playing game side? Yeah, I just actually just want to uh, jump on that thing you just said. And I think the reason that it was the most complete is because neither of of us had seen the film in our youth and it wasn't kind of colored by nostalgia in the same way like Attack the Block. Attack the Block doesn't have deeper really themes. There's some ideas in there, but like Lost Boys and Goonies, we watch those a lot yeah. <laughs> and it's very hard to step away from the nostalgia. So now and then it being something that we are coming to 
um, entirely as individuals who are now experienced film critics and game people, then yeah, I think that's probably what it is. As far as the the role-playing game is concerned, I think we covered... Gosh, Rafe, we covered a lot. We <laughs> did. Just looking at it, I think um, I haven't gotten a chance to run a now and then themed game, but I f- I feel like we have given uh, listeners the tools to certainly tackle that if that's something that interests them. So as far as actual game mechanics, no. However, <laughs> um, in, uh, we did get some really interesting listener feedback that asked us about a game mechanic, and I'm wondering if maybe we jump into the listener feedback now in place of role-playing discussion, because the question does involve role-playing mechanics. And if if you're cool with that, maybe we just do that. Sure. I mean, that's our next stop anyway, so let's go ahead and get into listener feedback. What do you got? Okay, well, uh, Grand Live and Good on the Facebook group, uh, specifically, he wrote, posted on the, on the Facebook site, again, feel free to join. We can't sadly link it because of, you know, my own folly, but um, I'd like to just read his post uh, because it is addressed to you. Uh, (laughs) So, gotta say, Rafe, your last pick, question mark, chef's kiss, fully inspired, and I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Choosing uh, Dr. Roberta as your draft pick, brilliant. Uh, But Graham goes on to say, on the same note, what archetypes are y'all looking for for in making your teams do you uh, each have different team makeup that you're looking to fill or are they similar uh keep up the great work gents thank you graham awesome yeah uh, to hear from you just in general but yeah yeah um yeah the roberta dr roberta was was definitely inspired uh like at the last minute when we started recording that was not the direction i went and it was only over the course of our discourse that i suddenly went that's the direction i'm going so that was a lot of fun uh, as far as archetypes and making up our teams this is actually uh pulling back the curtain which is what we do in these intermissions drew and i have actually had that on the notes for our episodes, every single episode so far, uh, when we get to the the draft pick, uh, talking about the archetypes of the characters, like h- how would we archetype those characters? And every single episode, we have ended up cutting it. It just didn't feel like it fit into the flow, or we were running long on something else, and we just, we've never gotten to it. But one of our ideas is to trope the characters, like what archetype, what trope do they fit into? Uh, as for me, as far as building my team, I'm looking for a well-rounded team. I mean, if you look at any of these kinds of movies, you always have the leader and the, the muscle and the, the the funny guy and, you know, that kind of thing. So that's, that in, in my mindset, I'm looking to make a well-rounded team that would plug into any of these movies pretty well. Yeah, uh, just to, to piggyback on what you were saying, too, um, about troping this, I think moving forward, what we'll probably do is we'll trope the in, on the intermission episodes the pick that we had on the movie, the proper movie episode. That sounds like uh, a And that plan. way, I think, I think I mean, if that makes sense to you, it makes sense to me. And it also makes sense that we should probably just go ahead and trope the ones we've already picked. So maybe yes. we'll get to that in a second. But as far as my selection is concerned, in the Lost Boys episode, I I think I mentioned that one of my original strategies for drafting was to get every single Corey Feldman that was in any of the movies so I could just have a team of Corys. <laughs> I quickly abandoned that uh, in our very first episode so I could take data rather than uh, mouth. But for me, 
it's very similar to Rafe. I like a well-rounded team, but I also like interesting dynamics. And so I've been trying to figure out what I would like to see played or if there was a like a, a movie or television episode with these characters, what dynamics would... I don't want to say challenging in a negative way would be challenging in a way that would make for interesting viewing or playing uh, specifically. So I, I mentioned when I drafted Moses, yes, I think Moses is out there to watch out for his boys. I mean, like he is an incredibly loyal individual. And I think if he felt there was a better leader, he would step aside. But if no one was stepping up to the challenge, he would take over. I think it'd be interesting to have two leaders on a team. Uh, mm-hmm. who have different leading styles. I think it would be interested to have characters that filled certain roles but could also fill secondary roles. And really what I want to do, and boy, I want to draft as if, let's say, I don't know, theoretically at the end of our first season uh, where we have this finalized team of seven kids and an adult, I want a team where if, I don't know, we had listeners who would be willing to jump in and help us out, we could potentially play a one-shot Kids on Bikes game in which we had people playing as these characters. We troped them in the style of the Kids on Bikes. We statted them up. We made them fully realized Kids on Bikes characters and played a Kids on Bikes game uh, as those characters. I want to be able to game master that game and that team. or, or I mean, if you were willing, Rafe, I would want, I would be willing to game master your team if you would be willing to game master mine. That sort of a thing. Like, in, in my head, you know, whether or not we actually do something like that, because now that I'm thinking about it, it sounds really brilliant. Uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of where my head is at as far as drafting. Cool. So there we go. All right. So I, I guess, shall we quickly kind of trope the draft picks that we've made so far? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, I think if we can do it quick. And I think, you know, too, we're using kids on bikes here. I I know that the whole point of the role-playing aspect of the second half of our show is you could role-play the theme uh, and and style and spirit of this movie in any system. But we are still talking about kids on bikes movies. Right. uh, And, you know, like our go-to kids on bikes role-playing game is the kids on bikes role-playing game. So we're going to use we're going to use those. Uh, I think for that. And that's at least in my notes. That's what I've been thinking for the last four or five episodes. So, uh, yeah. What do you, Rafe, you want to start us off? Sure. You want to do whole teams or you want to just alternate back and forth? Oh, let's alternate back and forth. That's kind of fun. So from Goonies, uh, I had Mikey. Uh, Uh I think Mikey, I mean, I mentioned Mikey is the heart of the team. That's why I brought him in, but you don't really have a trope that goes, this is the heart of the team. So how does he fit into this role playing game? Well, I, I think he's a scout. You know, uh-huh. I looked at it as far as like an adventurer, um, and it, it just that that fit the best as far as, as any trope that that I found because uh, scouts are high on brains and grit and charm, and that felt like okay, yeah, that 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 fits. I think he is cool under pressure as far as one of his strengths, uh, and I think he's a treasure hunter as far mm-hmm. as his other strength, and I think his flaw is that he's superstitious, and we definitely see that in the movie. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, well, this is so interesting, too, because I, I I drafted Data from the Goonies. I also find that Data is a scout. Um, I, it was between scout or brilliant mathlete because Dana's such a big brain. But it's the gadgets that Data uses really feels like he's thinking about different situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, to me, felt 
more scoutish than just big brain. So I went with prepared, which of course allows us to gamify the the gadgets. Um, also, Data's very lucky because those gadgets don't always work. So uh, prepared <laughs> and lucky are the two strengths for Data. And for the flaw, I think Data is over eager. I think Agreed. there's something about the character who isn't waiting for someone who thinks so many steps ahead. He's actually not waiting for the plan to to take hold. So yeah, I think I think that's how it's at it. Uh, as far as strengths and flaws are concerned, and and tropes, yeah. Okay, our next movie was Attack the Block. Why don't you go ahead and start that one off? Okay, yeah, so I took Moses, um, and Moses is a bully, uh, definitely a bully. <laughs> uh, certainly, we talk about Moses and all the characters in that film being uh, anti-heroes at the beginning and then sort of changing when their home turf is attacked. Um, but even though Moses is a bully, for the strengths, uh, I chose heroic because I think Moses... Definitely shows that he's not afraid. Agreed. Um, and the ability to not have a GM tell you whether or not you're afraid in a certain situation will help. And I also think Moses is tough. Uh, Moses gets beat up quite a bit in this film. I think all the kids sort of do. Yeah. Um, and then as a flaw, Moses has a chip on his shoulder. Now, I kind of switch between chip on the shoulder and then, like, something to do with his surprising youth. Like, I feel like he's burdened is another flaw, but that mm. feels like it's something that is put upon you rather than something that is internal. Uh, right. Because, you know, no one knows how young Moses actually is until the end of the film. But I think Chip on the Shoulder works out really well. Who did you who did you get for Attack the Block? Uh, I had Pest, and when I was thinking about this, I was like, well, he's a bully too, because because mm-hmm. they all are, as, as you and I yeah. said. But the more I thought about it, I decided instead of going with a second bully, that he is the funny sidekick. Yeah. You know, I mean, he does have some quips. He does have, you know, that that he falls more to me of the funny sidekick than the bully as far as his, his, his primary trope there. Yeah. Um, I said as far as his strengths that he is prepared. Makes sense. Which I I think, you know, makes sense, especially when you think about when they go back to their places for weapons and stuff. Uh, And that he's loyal. Oh, yeah. But that his his flaw is that he's hot-tempered. I really like that. Um, Pest... I think Funny Psychic is a really good way of taking it because Pest is the second in command of Moses' right. crew, and there isn't a second in command trope in Kids on Bikes, and I think Funny Sidekick really does make sense, and he is the one who is is sort of the the mouthy second general. Yeah, no, I think that's really well done altogether. All right, uh, then we move on to uh, Lost Boys. Yes. Uh, who did you get for Lost Boys? Uh, I picked Edgar Frog. And in, in troping this character, I had to, and this is your fault, I had to keep in mind Edgar Frog in The Lost Boys, not Edgar Frog in The Thirst or other future projects, because right, that's right, sure. a different character. He's a very different character, yeah. Because at that point, he's an expert on hunting vampires. He has several vampire kills under his belt. You know, he is he is well-prepared. But in The Lost Boys... As much as he comes across as being knowledgeable about vampires, you do, over the course of the movie, learn that they hadn't actually fought any vampires up to this point. It was all theoretical. Sure. So I think Edgar in in The Lost Boys is a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, I think that's perfect. That's perfect. Because <laughs> he doesn't actually know what he's talking about. It's all just theory to him. And, and because of that also, because of the way the fights go, uh, I put down that he's lucky. Because he should have gotten beaten, like, numerous times. And the fact that the Frog Brothers come out on top is really comes down to two things. Luck and toughness. So that's what I went with his strengths, is that he's lucky and that he's tough. 
Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Cool. And then on the flaw side, he's boastful, which again, yeah. completely fits. So, yeah, no, I think that's I think that's perfect. Mine's a little trickier because uh, I chose Grandpa Emerson as my adult, and uh, Grandpa Emerson is such an interesting character. I also went with conspiracy theorist. I like to think that maybe sometime down the road. Uh, Edgar Frog becomes like Grandpa. Like, and, <laughs> and if you if you read the comics, there's I feel like uh, Seely who writes the 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 comic one, uh, not the um, not the the lead into the tribe, but the lead into Volume One of the Lost Boys, which is supposed to be the the spiritual successor uh, in comic book form. There's there's some truth to that, uh, and I looked at. The environment in which Grandpa Emerson lives and all of his weird taxidermy. And so the two strength I gave, because I don't really see the adult going on the adventures with the kids, but rather being there to help the kids, almost like a home base sort of a thing. I gave him gross and prepared, mainly that you would be able to use the taxidermy for different uses, but it is still a pretty horrifying uh, thing. So I think if you're in Grandpa Emerson's domain, he gets both gross and prepared. So those are the strengths. And I think he's paranoid. Uh, Oh, sure. I think paranoia makes sense for conspiracy theorists. And in some ways, paranoia can be a strength, right? Because it sort of gives you the idea of being prepared. But uh, it also can make you very standoffish and very difficult to communicate with. And could you imagine that film if Grandpa had just said, listen, there's vampires everywhere. Right. (laughs) Uh, I've been fighting the fight (laughs) for a while. Just go with, trust me on this one. So yeah, that's what I'm going with. All right. That brings us up to this month's conversation about now and then. Uh, Why don't you talk about young Sam? Such a tricky thing to do. I agree. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Sam's an interesting, because we really kind of talked, if there was a trope called future author, uh, I think (laughs) Sam would fit into that. None of the kids on bikes tropes really fit Sam. I did go with loner weirdo, even though the whole point of the the movie is sort of like, this is a all for one and one for all. The fact that the bookends do suggest that they sort of, with the exception of Chrissy and Roberta, they sort of leave and separate and become independent from one another. So I, I feel like Sam is on her way to being a loner weirdo down the line. But I felt like, okay, I think she is very protective, both of her younger sibling, of her family dynamic, and of her friends. We do see evidence that she will jump into a fight. Uh, if it means protecting one of her friends. And I gave her intuitive, which is in Kids on Bikes, the ability to ask the game master a question in which they have to answer truthfully, because I think someone who is an author is thinking about those sort of things uh, about the world around them. So I think that works fairly well for someone who essentially is narrating, kind of breaking the fourth wall and narrating the film for everybody. And I gave her thin-skinned. I think she takes everything very personally um, throughout the film. Um, Someone who is internalizing the divorce of her parents, and she realizes kind of what's happening as she's getting older. And I think that she takes it real personal. So I think maybe thin-skinned almost feels like it's a a, maybe the wrong way of saying it, but I I think it comes across. Sensitive um, soul. Sensitive sensitive thank you sensitive is much better so i'm gonna say she's sensitive so that's gonna be my flaw for her okay yeah dr roberta was also a bit tricky to try and figure out a trope on um she is again then it's my turn to have the adult um and and the best trope 
that I could come up with is overprotective parent, although part of the reason I liked her is I don't think she'd be overprotective as a parent. Right. Um, but, like, blue-collar worker didn't quite fit either because she's a doctor. Nope. And it's, so it's – I mean, at the same time, she does play softball and, and do kind of stuff that you would associate more blue-collar type things. So she was a tough one. So I'm going with overprotective parent. Uh, I'm saying she is protective – uh, and that she is prepared, and I specifically was thinking about their attempt to get Chrissy to the hospital when I was uh, picking those strengths, uh, and that she is patronizing as her flaw, <laughs> which is patronizing is good, almost an understatement about her personality. Uh, but I, I feel like that was kind of the best I could come up with for her as the adult. That's interesting. I think that's perfectly fine. That makes a lot of sense. I think stoic professional also could be kind of would work with her as well um i don't know that stoic is the right word for yeah no i I agree i i I think i think you went with the right one i think either one of those would work fine because it depends on how a player would play them but i think those are good yeah okay so rafe it's been four months we finally did the thing we wanted to do from the very first episode we've uh for for those of you listening we're only going to trope the one we picked on the last episode so you don't have to go through all of that again but i think that's that kind of sets you an idea of where we're looking. Uh, Graham, it sort of gives you an idea of how we're <laughs> picking our characters. I don't think either one of us really have um, any kind of doubles in there, right? So, like, even though you and I mirror each other in the fact, you know, we both have scouts and uh, along those lines, I think you're less likely to see a bunch of doubles on each of the teams. So I think that'll yeah. work really well. Uh, though I do imagine if any one trope from Kids on Bikes is going to be doubled on it, it will be scouts, and brilliant mathletes, because I have a tendency, I know I have a tendency to like the characters who are well-rounded or real smart kids. Um, and I love throwing a couple of them on the same team uh, because it's so fun to have a nerd off uh, in a game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's uh, go ahead and listen to the rest of our uh, listener feedback here. Yeah, absolutely. We did say that if you gave us a five-star review and you wrote a review on whatever podcast review station that we could get, uh, we would read it out. And we've got one on here. So this is our first five-star review that someone actually included uh, a review. And this is for from Orin R. Line. And uh, I will try to read this without crying because this makes me so happy. Uh, and um, forgive me if I am uh, mispronouncing the name A-U-R-Y-N, Orin. Sounds right. That's uh, this, thought. Yeah, right? This podcast improves my day in so many ways. Whether I'm being transported back in time by the nostalgia of childhood movies or I'm being introduced to new storylines and gameplay, the premise of this show makes me feel playful and creative. Drew and Rafe do a wonderful job of providing insight and advice for the modern gamer. Even if you don't play, it's worth a listen because these guys have such great imagination. Thanks to both of you for the wonderful episodes. Wow. (laughs) I hadn't seen that one, so, um, wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, I know. We're both both wiping our (laughs) eyes. Yeah, how do we respond to that? I mean... Listen, if you're enjoying listening to this podcast as much as we, even half as much as we're enjoying making it ourselves, then we're we're doing what we want to do. This is the whole point of this is to make this a resource for for gamers, uh, or I mean, and movie fans, I suppose. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to dwell on this so much because we also have another very nice comment. Uh, shall I read this one or do you want to? Uh, no, I'll go ahead and read this one. This one comes from Facebook by Sarah Tester. It looks 
I, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it correctly, but that's that's what it looks like. Uh, it says, new podcast shout out, never say die. If you are into movies and RPGs, check out this wonderful podcast by Drew Meyer and Rafe Telsch. This inaugural season, the hosts are covering kids on bikes movies and exploring how those movies can inform creative world building and gameplay. So far, there are episodes for Goonies, Attack the Block, and The Lost Boys. Next on the list is Now and Then. Even if you aren't into RPGs, this podcast is engaging and a wonderful trip down memory lane for those of us who love kids on bikes movies. Here are links to the podcast on Podbean and their Facebook group if you listen, become a fan, and would like to request quest membership and awesome. man again i just I, I i learned a long time ago when i was actually in the the kind of the the, the peak of doing my film criticism not to look at comments so right. I, I, right. I i miss this kind of stuff because i'm busy specifically not looking at comments so thank you so much yeah no this has been one of the things that i find has been so rewarding about this podcast aside from being able to spend time with you and talk about things that i love is that um especially with the uh never say die cast facebook group which has jumped in the last two weeks from like 40 users to 60 uh members which has been fantastic just the conversations we're having on there um talking with folks about gaming it's just that the sense of community and when people really like something um both I think the people who come to these sites are people who like these kind of movies and also like role-playing games. And, right. you know, just, and again, shout out to the um, Kids on Bikes community Facebook group. If you're listening to this and aren't a member of the Kids on Bikes community Facebook group, join that as well. Every single week, someone is posting something that they're doing with their players that I I just never thought of. And the originality and the love for the genre comes through. I mean, setting up your missing persons by printing out missing persons on the side of a milk carton and right. making the milk carton. Oh my a, god! Making your adversity tokens skee ball tickets, right? Like that 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 people designed individually. All of its genius and this kind of creativity that comes out of is, and I'm no shame in saying this, directly responsible for inspiring us to do this podcast. So uh, the last shout out, and it's not so much a a listener feedback, is that uh, Morrison Claire was kind enough to give me an hour of her time just to sit down and talk to me about what it was like for her to watch now and then as a teen, uh, as an adult now, and just the conversations we had did exactly what I needed, which is allowing me to see this film from a point of view that I wasn't going to have, both as someone who didn't have nostalgia for it, (laughs) as being a guy, right? Like both of those things were invaluable. So Maura, thank you so much for that conversation. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the feedback. I mean, that just, that means a lot to us. Um, I've, 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 I, I, I was going to use the word complaint. Maybe that's not the right word. I've said before, uh, a lot of times with doing stuff on the internet, the, the problem as a creative type is it feels like you're putting your creativity out into the void. So getting any kind of feedback from me is always like just a joy because then I know I'm not just doing it for myself. Although with this podcast, I could just sit and chat with Drew for <laughs> hours and not record it and it still would be fun. <laughs> right, right. And that's the thing too, is like we get in zero feedback. That's fine. I'm still having a blast watching movies and talking about role-playing games with you. Um, but again, just to reiterate, if you like the podcast, you want to let us know how you like the how much you like the podcast, please leave us a review. If you believe a five-star review and you say something, we will absolutely read it online. Um, if you have any kind of questions for us, 
please post it either on the Facebook. You can get in touch with us via our email. All of that's going to be at the end of the podcast, how you can do so. But, you know, we we want to know. We want to engage with you. There's some related media. It's not quite feedback, but one of the things that we sort of discussed in our last episode is I did a lot of research to kind of get an understanding about this movie, uh, and I just wanted to read the titles of a couple of think piece articles that I think folks who wanted, if they wanted to learn more or, or just kind of get a different idea about um, now and then, this would just be a good place to do it. If they, if they wanted to go deeper than just simply talking to us. Um, sure. So I'm going to do these by order of publication dates. Things about now and then you only notice as an adult. Uh, this is by Julie, uh, pardon me, Sprankles and Sezen Kohler. This was uh, published in 2018 in January, uh, which has some really interesting things like how watching this as a kid and then talking about it as an adult, that one was really good. This one was phenomenal. What White Girl Coming of Age Movies Don't Do for a Black Girl by Zoe Samudzi. Uh, this is published in 2018. Phenomenal think pace article. Not specifically about now and then. It is mentioned, but it really is just talking about the whole genre and, and the whiteness of it and how there's a certain difference uh, there's an extreme difference for coming of age for different people of different cultures. Um, sure. Now and Then is a lot darker than you remember by Ann Cohen, uh, also 2018. Yeah, it it kind of goes along with uh, the things about Now and Then that you only notice as an adult. And, and then finally, finally taken seriously by uh, Ilana Kaplan, which was published in, in 2020, sort of taking a look at the 25th anniversary, sort of like 25 years anniversary of the actual publication of the the film. And there is one more, one more uh, that I want to mention. And that is now and then friends, ghosts and drops of bird poop by Katie Bienvenu, um, who is uh, a friend and who is on the Facebook group and specifically answered the call when I asked for, for comments about it. Uh, She wrote a great article about it. I highly recommend it. Uh, We'll probably put links into the show notes for it. But I also want to say that Katie, thank you, Katie, retweeted our posts when we talked about now and then, and she put a link uh, on the show note uh, on her Twitter page, and it was liked by I, Marlene King, the writer of Now and Then. So (laughs) it's just like, what a great connection. So again, Katie, thank you so much for that. Uh, well, also in related media, I always like to try and bring up a couple of, of adjacent pieces, films, whatever, that, that might connect, might help yes. inspire further ideas. One of them I'm not going to go too in-depth on because it could possibly still come up as an episode. Um, but, you know, we talked so much about now and then being related to uh, Stand By Me, you know, and, right. and, and but it's also very much related to it. If you think mm-hmm. about the idea that we have, we have the adults, we have the children, two separate narratives, except for, you know, it actually has a narrative with the adults. But like the idea that the town has a secret, the idea of who left and who stayed as far as the kids when they grew up, who left and who stayed and, and the, the toll that that takes even. So that, that had some cool ideas in it that I thought were related. And then one that we definitely are not going to talk about on Kids on Bikes year, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, the town has a history, has a secret, and the adults do not want to let it out. And the kids are paying the price for that in this whole franchise. So something to consider if you want to go really freaking dark with your town secret. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I 
I don't even think there's any probability about it. I think we are definitely going to talk about it part one on this podcast. And I think you're right about Nightmare on Elm Street. I think Nightmare on Elm Street part one definitely has a lot more in common with uh, it part one. Uh, but I definitely like if you want to play a darker version of Now and Then, then both of those excellent excellent suggestions for getting you in the mood for it any other related media uh no that's all i have on related media we still need to talk kickstarter we still need to talk about what we're going to talk about next month but do you have anything else you want to uh go over before we get into those aspects of the show i think that's i think i've covered it if you want to find your own version um just articles about now and then there's a ton of them out there um also one of the things i guess i should mention really quick the sheer amount of now and then merchandise on etsy it was one of the things that definitely pushed me to to talk about this movie because it's just like okay do people even still remember this check on etsy just to see what kind of stuff is out there yeah they know it they love it uh it's on there (laughs) let's talk about it so let's go so i think yeah uh do your own research but uh enjoy all right well let's move on to what's caught our eye on kickstarter uh, this is where we just kind of tell you things that we've found on Kickstarter that we're excited about that we may or may not be backing and we just want to bring to your attention. So, Drew, why don't you kick us off with something that's caught your attention? Yeah, um, cool. One of the things I've been looking forward to is just games that take a different uh, approach to role-playing. You know, it, it's great to fight monsters. It's it's great to, you know, have a robotic arm and, and do all that fun stuff. But every once in a while, you know, you want to be a bartender uh, on a on the borderlands and I, I found one called barkeep on the borderlands that just sounds like a really interesting concept of uh just a different approach um i've been so much more interested in the personality of character development and uh just interactions more so than than sort of like the idea of adventure because there's plenty of those out there so yeah i, I found this one on kickstarter it grew up my attention and i supported it it which is, you know, sometimes when we mention these, we've sort of waffled on whether or not we're going to be throwing our support that way. Drawing our attention is one thing, but actually taking part in it is another. Uh, this one I've supported. I'm looking forward to it. I, I have a quick aside. Did you ever encounter the role-playing game? And it came out when we were teenagers. Tales of the Floating Vagabond? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I I still have that game in my boxes of RPG stuff. And, like, I need to revisit it now that I'm an adult and see what I didn't understand when I was a teenager and didn't drink. <laughs> yeah. Tales of the Floating Vagabond, not the thing that we're talking about this time. I, I does... That's sort of what this caught my eye. That and the art actually seemed uh, really cool. It had a, has a real adventure zone kind of quality to it. The other thing, too, is Barkeep on the Borderlands is a, um, well, they describe it right on the thing, a system-neutral point crawl adventure. Uh, and it's an adventure. And and so not quite a module sort of a thing, but it is an interesting idea. Tales of the Floating Vagabond, I have a digital download of it still somewhere, and I remember reading it cover to cover and finding it interesting um, I bought that because I loved Restaurant at the End of the Universe so much. Mm. Um, and so it was Restaurant at the End of the Universe leads to Tales of the Floating Vagabond, leads to Barkeep on the Borderlands. And if I'm not mistaken, I would probably have to do some research here. I'm pretty sure they re-released maybe a, like a, a, a new version of Vagabond within the last five years. I'm, oh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some research. I'll post it later if, if that turns out to be the case. Because now, Rafe, now I really want to play Tales of the Floating Vagabond with you. So I never played maybe... it. I never played it. I no, just read I, it. Exactly right. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's like listen. If I if I played even a tenth of the number of role playing games I own, 
Uh, I wouldn't have time to do anything else. But yeah, so Barkeep on the Borderlands, it just, it really caught my eye. It seems fun. There's a certain level of economic role-playing and social interaction that I, yeah, it just looks fun. Okay. It's, it's, but again, uh, even though April is the cruelest month, February is the shortest month, by the time this comes out, you're probably going to have a week to support it if, if it sounds good. But, you know, take a look. Okay. My first uh, really kind of fits in with the niche of this podcast. Uh, again, as Drew kind of just said, it doesn't have a whole lot of time left on it. And it is called Those Wretched Kids. And it is uh, a very appropriate for kids on bike discussion because it's very Scooby-Doo, you know, would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those meddling kids. But in this case, uh, you're playing the villain. You're playing the bad guy. You're playing the one who would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those wretched kids. It is a solo RPG, uh, which, you know, I've talked before about solo RPGs kind of have my attention because getting a group together is not the easiest thing right now. So this one caught my attention just because A, solo RPG, and B, you know, Scooby-Doo, kids on bikes type thing. And I, I think it looks pretty fun and, and not a very complicated game. It sounds brilliant. Are you kidding me? And what's funny is, as you're describing it, makes me think, in many ways, um, aren't all of us game masters the corrupted uh, real estate developer? Um, <laughs> or the carnival guy who's losing money hand or foot? Or the, the Farmer Jones? Like, we're sort of that way in all of our Kids on Bikes uh, games. It was Drew Meyer all along. <laughs> it was Drew all along. It's fact, kids. It's always Drew all along. <laughs> all right. What else you got? Well, um, we've discussed on, on many episodes my love of um, a mystery. I love running a mystery. I especially love running a mystery for players who also like playing in mysteries. And there is a Kickstarter called Unchained Mysteries. Uh, it is it's a toolkit for, well, it says right on the package, designing mystery scenarios as dramatic situations as an alternative to common clue chain structure. But it's got Sherlock Holmes tackling Moriarty off a cliff at Reichenbach Falls uh, on the illustration. And so that's all it really needed to get my attention. <laughs> Anything that will help me to to work towards a better mystery is something that I like. And um, uh, my friend Jim Ryan is backing this as well. And I follow Jim Ryan because his tastes in role-playing games are excellent. Uh, hello, Jim Ryan, if you're listening. And so, yeah, once I saw that he was doing this, I'm like, I'm absolutely following this. And it was really inexpensive to support. Uh, so it sounds really cool. Uh, all right. My last one uh, is called The Deck of Inspiration. And, and this comes because as much as we talk kids on bikes on here, um, the truth is that my primary campaign that I'm running is D&D. And so a lot of the stuff that I look on Kickstarter for is D&D related stuff. And this one caught my eye because it takes the inspiration mechanic in D&D, which is essentially just a do over, right? I mean, it's right. it's rolling with advantage, but you get to choose that later on if you botch the roll. Okay, I'll use my inspiration point. But this takes that mechanic and provides a, a, a variety of options that the players can get uh, using that point of inspiration. So instead of it just being a do-over, it's like they draw a card and maybe they get, you know, a, a magic item or maybe they get, you know, some money or, or whatever. It gives players a lot more options with that inspiration mechanic than just having a do-over in their back pocket. Now, I know a lot of players who would not trade that do-over for all the money in the world, and that probably I fit into that as well, but I just like having options, and I, I think this one caught my eye because it is just something unique that I had never considered before. To me, it was just, oh, there's inspiration, you have it, you know, that kind of thing, but I, I like uh, having some options and flexibility that this Kickstarter provides. This is such a good idea that I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Wizards of the Coast didn't include it in the 6th edition of Dungeons & Dragons. 
and not give this company uh, credit for it. Well, tr- true fact, almost every time I get a D&D campaign going is when they change additions. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, no, this is brilliant. I really like this. Uh, and I, I certainly hope that uh, I get a chance to maybe play in a D&D game of yours so we can see this in, in action. But I think this is a really cool idea. Cool. All right, and I also should mention uh, there were several projects we mentioned on our last intermission episode. Uh, Drew mentioned Thunder Road. I mentioned a a couple others, including Sunken Isles, uh, that have gone live on Kickstarter now. So if they piqued your interest when we talked about them last episode, then head over to Kickstarter. Uh, They they all went live recently, so you've got a lot more time on those than the stuff that we mentioned this episode. (laughs) That's fair. All right, Drew, it's time. Uh, Rafe... Before you say anything else, I just got to say to our listeners, we've been waiting for this <laughs> for a while now. That's right. Yeah, this is normally where it would be my turn to pick the next film that we are going to be discussing and tearing apart and getting inspiration from. But I am not getting to pick next month's movie because we potentially have at least one guest joining us for our next episode. Now, we're not going to spoil who the guest is. Uh, I've learned from my other podcasts. You don't uh, you don't promote it until it is uh, done. But we have at least one guest who will be coming on, and they have picked 2011's Super 8 as their film for us to analyze for our next real episode. So we will post the guest announcement as soon as we have it 100% confirmed. But until then, that is our pick for our next movie. It is Super 8. It is not my pick, uh, which will affect a couple of elements of the podcast when we actually record that. So, But I'm excited. This guest or these guests, depending on which way it goes, are very exciting for us. And, and it'll be a lot of fun to, to look at Super 8 and also get some other voices other than Drew and I's. Ah, oh, my goodness. No, I uh, I cannot stress... How excited I am. I think once uh, our guest slash guests are confirmed and it's recorded, we will definitely let you know. Uh, we will definitely make it easy for you to be able to ask questions. Uh, and there's a lot of ways you can ask us questions. You can email us at the Never Say Die Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook group at the Never Say Die Cast. Even though it is a closed and private group, it is open for anyone who wants to join. Uh, you can ask permission, and it just kind of automatically lets you get in. We are on Twitter at Never Say Die Cast. Uh, and so any of those ways, get in touch with us. Uh, you won't regret it. I'm very excited about it. Thanks again to Chris Talent for our theme song and Megan Daly for our show artwork. And remember, even if it's four months in and you still can't remember to mention the music on the regular podcast, never say die. 